Good morning. Please find your way in God's precious word to the Gospel of Mark. We're in chapter 5. We have been digging into the riches of this letter from some, for some time now. We, we're a third, of, a third of the way through this beautiful text, and, and I want you to bear with me as I do a short review of what has happened so far in this letter. I, I want you to see the changes that had occurred, and by doing so, it will better help us understand the text as we move forward from here. So we know in Mark chapter 1, we see the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. In other words, the times they are changing. Jesus didn't record that record, but he did give a reason for the song. But if you, if you don't think that Jesus changed the times, check your calendar. Because the birth, life, ministry, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ are the turning points in world history. We set our calendars by it. The kingdom of God is at hand, Jesus proclaimed. And Jesus demonstrated that he was indeed the one that was sent by God. Jesus came onto the scene preaching the scriptures. He taught with authority. It was like no one had ever heard, seen or heard before. The people were astounded when they heard him speak, and they were in awe of the words that he spoke. He taught the word as if he was the word. Amen? He showed the world that he had power over creation by healing many and by controlling the elements. He displayed to all that he had power over the spiritual world by casting out demons. Jesus was and is the one that came to save a lost and dying world. Jesus is the one sent by God to bring the kingdom of God to this world. He didn't come to judge. Even though it is second coming, he will. But this time, Jesus came to seek and save. He came to set up the kingdom on this, his kingdom on this earth. So Jesus demonstrated his power to prove who he was, and once he had done that, he started making changes. He appointed a new 12 to represent the kingdom. He, he called his disciples unto himself and be, began to prepare them for the days to come. He, he began to equip them in order to send them out to proclaim the kingdom of God was indeed here, and to proclaim the good news that he, he's sending them out to proclaim salvation is available for all who will put their faith in Jesus Christ. Now, another thing that uh, another change that happened is the Sabbath is no longer a day. Jesus is now our Sabbath. He, it is Christ in whom we now rest. And we see Jesus's ministry ministry began to change in chapter three. When he said and did only what God could do on the Sabbath. If you remember in chapter 3, there was a man with a withered hand who was in a synagogue listening to the teachings of Jesus. And the Pharisees and the religious leaders were watching Jesus to see what he was going to do. Which I found totally amazing. It's like they knew Jesus had the power to heal. They just wanted to see if he was going to heal on the Sabbath. You know, there was no question about his power. There was no question about, uh, you know, the question was, was Jesus going to break the man-made rules on the Sabbath? That was what the leaders were worried about. 
Well, of course, Jesus healed the man, as we know. The man got a brand new hand, a fully functioning hand on the Sabbath. And this really shook things up. Another changing time. Jesus broke the man-made Sabbath rules to, to reveal the true Sabbath rest. To, but instead of seeing the truth that was sitting before them, instead of giving God the glory, they rejected Jesus. They rejected Jesus and everything he taught. And this is where we see more changes. This is where we see the hardening of the hearts beginning to take hold of the Pharisees and the religious leaders. If you remember in chapter 3, verse 5 says, And he, that is Jesus, looked around at them with anger. And listen, he grieved at their hardness of heart. And then Jesus heals the man. He gets a new hand. And what did the Pharisees do? They went out immediately and met with the Herodians. And they were looking, seeking a way to destroy Jesus immediately. They had hardened their hearts against Christ. And they continued to harden their hearts until it came to a head when they committed the unforgivable sin. What is the unforgivable sin that they had committed? Well, they had witnessed the miracles. They had heard the teaching with authority. They had seen Christ cast out demons. And instead of saying, this man has to be from God because only God can do what he has done, instead of glorifying God and giving him praise, they did what? What did they do with their hard hearts? They said that Jesus was possessed by Beelzebub, and by the prince of demons he cast out, and by, and by the prince of demons he cast out the demons. They said that the miraculous work that Christ had done was done by the power of Satan. They blasphemed the Holy Spirit. They had hardened their own hearts so much that they could not see the truth, even though the truth was displayed right in front of them. That's a warning for all, is it not? Don't, do not harden your heart against God. But it was at that point that the teaching of Jesus began to change. Not his message. His message never changes. But his method did. Jesus pulls back. And he starts teaching his disciples about the kingdom of God and how it will be. He starts teaching in parables. And he began with the parable of the sower. And Jesus explained to his disciples, he said, now listen, this is how it's going to be. This is how the kingdom will be. He said, the word will go out. So go and sow the truth. But know this, not everyone will embrace it. According to the parable, only 25% of the ones who hear it will accept it and live it. The rest will not. But don't be discouraged. Just be obedient. Because the kingdom of God is not like man thinks it ought to be. In, in this parable, Jesus points out that there are people who have just flat out hardened their hearts and will not hear it. Which is difficult for us who have accepted Christ as our Savior. It's like, how can you not see this? It's so obvious. You know, here's a free gift from God. Why, why can't you just accept that? Why would you not just worship the one true living God? It's so clear to us. But we saw this in the Old Testament, too, with Pharaoh, if you remember. We see it here in, with, with religious leaders in, in the time of Jesus. They hardened their own hearts to the point that Jesus hardened their hearts into unbelief. Sad, sad times. The times were changing. The kingdom is at hand. And the kingdom is not what man thinks it, thinks it ought to be. Israel's looking for a military-led kingdom. Israel's looking for a politically-led 
kingdom, one that would judge the nations who had been oppressing Israel. And Jesus says, wait, listen. For those who have an ear, listen to my words. This is how the kingdom of God is going to be. And so he continues teaching with the parables, and he rolls into the parable about the lamp which is really a promise, it's, it's assurance that the gospel will go out, that the kingdom will grow. He asks, is a lamp bought to be put under the basket or under the bed? No, he says, neither is the kingdom. It will not be hidden. So do not doubt, do not be discouraged. Remember, you know, he's teaching the disciples, remember this. The disciples do not know, as Paul Harvey would say, the rest of the story, okay? They, they are living out what we are reading. Jesus is preparing them for the things to come. They don't know the rest of the story. He, he's training them, and he's telling them, don't be discouraged when you do not understand what I am doing. Do not be discouraged and doubt when people reject the truth or reject the free gift of salvation. Don't be discouraged or wonder where God is when things are not going the way you think they should go. You keep running the good race. Jesus continued with the parable of the seed growing. Listen, little grasshoppers, he says to his disciples. There will be a harvest, you know, when the time is right. Jesus will come for his people. I believe the prophet Joel spoke about this. It will come. It's going to happen. So Jesus says again, listen to the ones who have an ear to hear. Trust. You keep fighting the good fight. You keep planting the seed. You keep proclaiming the word of God and rest in me. I have it under control. There will be a harvest and the kingdom of God will prevail. Amen? So Jesus was telling them about the kingdom of God. But they didn't get it at that time. You know, they, they doubted that the kingdom of God was at hand because it didn't look like what they thought it should. Even though they had seen all the works of Christ and they have seen the miracles and they've listened to the teaching, they still had doubt. And I want to stop and talk about doubt for a second. It's very real. You know, we all doubt all the time. There are many times in our lives when we doubt. Nothing new under the sun as we could see, as we can see. There are many times in our walk we're wondering, where, where, what is God doing? You see, there's many times we don't understand what he's doing because we don't think like God. There's many times in our lives when tragedy strikes that, that we may ask, where is God? Where is God? Because I can't see him working. Do you remember what they said to Jesus when he was hanging on the cross? Do you remember what they said? They asked him, where is your God now? What looked like a tragic horrible crucifixion was actually the greatest act of love being put on display for the world to see. What looked like a bloody abuse and murder of an innocent man was actually God laying down his life for us. On this side of the cross, we praise God for it. But if we had been there, if we had been there on that day, we all would have had questions, doubt, pain and we would be asking where are you God how can you let this happen aren't we aren't we glad God is in control and not man 
If it was up to us, we all would have been like Peter, not wanting Jesus to go to the cross because we would have doubted God's method. What a comfort it is to know that God is in control and that Jesus was obedient to the Father and went to the cross and let God's will be done. Amen? Now, here in Mark, Jesus gives one more parable about the kingdom of God, the parable of the mustard seed. And like Pastor Jared said, it's not a parable about agriculture. This parable is tied back to the parable in Ezekiel. Jesus is, again, fulfilling Old Testament prophecy. He is bringing all nations into the everlasting kingdom. And, and Pastor Jared pointed out uh, last week also that bringing all the nations in, into the kingdom is not God's backup plan. God didn't say, well, you know, Israel wasn't obedient. They didn't do what I told them to do. Scrap this plan. Let me take it to the Gentiles. No, th this has always been God's plan from the beginning through Jesus Christ that all nations will be brought into the, ki into the kingdom of God. What was the covenant that God made with Abraham? God told Abraham that he would be the father of a multitude of nations. From the beginning, this was his plan. Things were changing. And if you remember last week, we saw that Jesus was taking his message to the other side of the sea. He, started, he brought in his disciples. He starts teaching in parables. Now he's going to the other side of the sea. He's going to proclaim the gospel to the Gentiles, to the nations. In case you don't know, Gentile, that's anyone who's not Jewish. So if you're not Jewish, you're a Gentile. You're all Gentiles. And Jesus going, is going to tell them, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And that brings us to Mark chapter 5. They, there were many changes that took place. But the message didn't change. Jesus is taking the kingdom message to the Gentiles. Chapter 5, verse 1. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, what is your name? He replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs were feed, was feeding there on the hillside. And they begged him, saying, send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs. And the herd, numbered about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told, told it in the city and in the country, and people came to see what it was that had happened. They came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man and the one who had the legion sitting there, 
clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs, and they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. And as he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. So let's walk through this text. Jesus and the disciples have just come out of a tremendous storm on the sea. His disciples were scared to death. They wake Jesus up. He calms the seas and the winds, and then they're filled with even more fear. So Jesus gives them a lesson on faith, on their faith in him and who he is, and also on his mission. He's training them to understand, again, that the kingdom of God is at hand and that the will of God will be carried out. The kingdom will prevail, so do not doubt. Now, after all that, the disciples may have been wondering, well, what a trip we've just been on. If we could just get to shore, maybe we can get some R&R on the beach. As we can see, that didn't happen. When Jesus stepped out of the boat immediately, Mark uses that word a lot, immediately they have an encounter with a man that is demon-possessed. Actually, it's two men. Matthew said there's two men, he tells us about. But they encounter a man who has an unclean spirit. This man is out of his mind. He lives among the dead. He, He cannot be controlled. He cannot be detained. No one can interact with him. He has cuts all over his body. He's dirty. Night and day, he screams out, there is no rest for this man. And the disciples said, well, there goes our day at the beach. This man was in an incredibly bad position, to say the least. He was filled with unclean spirits or demons. Teaching point, I want to talk about this for a minute. I want to talk about unclean spirits for a second. First of all, we all have to know that there is a spiritual battle going on. There is a spiritual realm. Ephesians 6.12 says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And it continues on to talking to telling us to take up the armor of God for this battle. And if you have a biblical worldview, you can clearly see this battle taking place every day. It is a true spiritual battle. And praise God that we know that and that we know the truth. And praise God that he provides the armor that we need for this battle. Praise God that we have his word and we are able to see the end. We know the rest of the story, amen? Because a lot of times we could look around this world and, and feel like uh, you know, God's defeated or feel like we're defeated. A lot of times when tragedy hits or, or we see you know, Christianity being attacked, we're ready to give up. But we're to never give up. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world, amen? We have victory in Jesus. The battle has been won. 
Like Pastor Jared said, we're not shaped by CNN or Fox News or Hollywood. We're shaped by the Word of God. And what does the Word tell us? It tells us that we have victory. So I say to all believers, live in victory. Live in that joy that comes from the Father. Let the world know about that living hope, that no-so hope that you have in your heart that just keeps you going, that gives you the strength to carry on, to get out of the bed each and every day and do what we have to do. Show a lost and dying world what, that Christ is alive and that he lives in your heart. Amen? There is a spiritual battle. There is a spiritual world. And that brings up a question I get a lot. I've been asked, can a Christian be possessed by an unclean spirit? Can a believer, can, can they be possessed? And the answer is absolutely not. All believers are secure in the hands of God. 1 Corinthians 6.19 declares that the body of the Christian is the temple of the Holy Spirit. John 14 makes it clear that believers are indwelt by God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And I just brought up John, uh, 1 John 4, 4. It said, little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. It doesn't say greater of the two that live in you. No. Greater is he who lives in you. And that's our precious Lord and Savior. Amen. So the answer is no, a child of God cannot be possessed by an unclean spirit. Now the second question I get is, is anyone really possessed by an evil spirit today? Well, you know, I, I can't judge that. I, I don't know that. But I can say there are evil people in the world. You know, uh, and that's not of God. If you look back in history, I just look, you, you can read about the dictators that were responsible for, for deaths of millions. I looked it up, and in the 20th century alone, a conservative estimate was that there was over 150 million deaths caused by so-called leaders of the people. That's an evil person. That's evil. They possessed? I can't say. I can't say. And, you know, even, even if you take the life of an one innocent person that's evil possessed I can't say but there is a spiritual battle and that, that we as believers face every day think about that for a moment Satan and his demons are God's enemies they're our enemies and all they want to do is kill and destroy the word says that Satan is like a roaring lion seeking who he can devour 1 Peter 5 8 through 9 and it is Satan who works in the hearts and lives of the unbelievers, making them, quote, children of disobedience, Ephesians 2, 1. So when we see, so, so when we see that this incredible battle is happening, and when you have a biblical worldview, it opens our eyes to how important it is to have on the full armor of God. Ephesians 6, 10 through 18. We have to carry the full armor of God. Every believer needs to be equipped for battle. But do know this. Believers are safe and secure in the hands of God. Now back to our text. Immediately Jesus is confronted by an unclean spirit. And what is the first thing this man does? He immediately calls out Jesus. Verse 6. And when he saw Jesus from afar. Now from y'all that's from the country. Afar is not like flames. It's a distance. 
afar. He ran and fell down before him and crying out loud and with a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. So what do we notice here? The demon, this unclean spirit, knows who Jesus is. Immediately, he knew who Jesus was. When he came close to Jesus, under the power of that unclean spirit, this man fell to his knees, not in worship, though, not in worship, but in grudging submission to Jesus' superior power. Don't miss that point. The demons immediately recognized Jesus and his authority. They knew who Jesus was and what his great power could do to them. If you know, James 2.19 says, You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. They know the superior power of God. This demon even called him by name. He called him Jesus, son of the most high God. Do you remember the, the other demon that was in the synagogue when he called out to Jesus? He called Jesus the Holy One of God. But this one refers to him as Jesus, the son of the most high. He recognized Jesus as God's divine son. That's a big deal. He knew exactly who Jesus was. And the demon's first question, what do you want with me? In other words, he's saying, leave us alone. Because a more literal translation would be, what to you and to me? Or what do we have in common? The demon asked Jesus to leave them alone, for they have nothing to do with each other. That's what he's saying. But such a question and statement really shows the contrast here. Jesus and the demons were as far separated as anything could be. Jesus' purpose was to heal and to give life. The demons, what did I say earlier? Kill and destroy. So the demon was absolutely right. Jesus is the son of the most high God, and they have absolutely nothing in common. Absolutely nothing. And then the demons began praying. Well, not really, but it kind of sounds like our prayers. The demon began proclaiming a list of wants and requests from God. <laughs> kind of the same, I guess. <laughs> they said, don't send us into the abyss. Don't send us into the country. Let us go to the pigs. You know, they got this whole list of demands. Listen, the demons knew that they had to submit to Jesus' power and authority. They knew that. And they knew that what he could, that, that he could seal their fate. By, by running them into the abyss and sending them far away. They knew that. So they asked if they could go into the herd of pigs, which I think is a good match. The pigs were unclean animals, and therefore they could provide a fitting habitation for the demons who Mark characteristically calls them unclean spirits. Unclean spirits and unclean animals. Listen, from a Jewish perspective, this story here is replete with elements of uncleanliness. From a Jewish perspective, this place stinks. Not here, that place there. It is said that the swine herdsmen were supplying the Roman legions, the Roman soldiers, the Romans with pork. Then that means that they were raising unclean food for the detested Roman occupation. Then you have a man with an unclean spirit living among the unclean tombs. Jewish people couldn't go around the tombs of dead people. Surrounded by people employed in unclean occupations, all in unclean Gentile territories. 
What in the world is Jesus doing here? What is he doing there? This is a place where no Jewish person would ever set foot. But contrary to all reason and expectation, Jesus goes there. He penetrates both the ritual wall of uncleanliness and the formidable reputation of the demoniac. So we have to ask, what was Jesus doing there? What's the reason for Jesus confronting all this uncleanliness and allowing the demons to enter the pigs? Why was Jesus penetrating this territory, this unclean territory? He was doing exactly what he said he was doing. He's carrying out the mission that he proclaimed from the beginning. He's bringing the nations to the, into the kingdom of God. And, it, and it's happening, and it isn't happening like man thinks it would. Remember, Israel's looking for a military takeover of the nations. They're thinking that that's how God is going to judge the nations. The nations are oppressing, were oppressing Israel, so God was supposed to judge them by human might. But instead, Jesus comes in and overcomes the nations by destroying their power through the kingdom of God. Jesus, the embodiment of the kingdom of God, has made all things clean. He has allowed the demons to go into the pigs. The nation's powers, in a sense, went into the pigs, and then he drives their pigs into the sea. God is thus bringing the nations to account by delivering them from the demonic powers. This is how the kingdom of God will reach the ends of the earth. This is how all nations will come into the eternal kingdom. Jesus is saying, Israel, I care about you, Israel. I really do. You're my child. And I care also about the nations. I also care about the nations. Remember, that was a plan from the beginning to bring this message to all of us. And he demonstrated it that day when he was confronted by a demon-possessed man in an unclean land. The times were changing. The kingdom of God is at hand. And the kingdom will be made up of all nations. And we know this will take place as God plans. We can read the rest of the story in Revelation 7, 9. Write that in your margins. After this, I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number. From every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb of God clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with loud voices, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. The kingdom is made up of all nations. Praise the Lord, right? Back to our text as we wrap this up. Verse 13. So he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs. And the herd, numbered about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. I guess we could say that these pigs committed suicide. Dad joke. Dad joke. And as soon as that happened, the herdsmen fled and told everyone about it. And then they came to Jesus and they saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had, who had the legion, sitting there clothing in his right mind. And they were afraid. Afraid of what? What were they afraid of? They were more frightened by Jesus' power to expel the demons than they were by a terrifying demoniac himself the power of God put fear in them they saw the superior power of God that we mentioned earlier and said we don't want any part of that 
We want Jesus to leave. They were in the presence of the kingdom of God, and they said, go away, no thanks. They made a terrible, life-changing mistake that day. Not like the man who experienced the mercy of God. Listen to his heart. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with the demons begged him that he might be with him. He begged him. And Jesus says, no, you stay. You stay and go tell. You go and tell. And he went away and began to proclaim how much Jesus has done for him, had done for him. The times were changing. Jesus had just ordained a preacher. He sent this man out to proclaim the gospel to the Gentiles, to the nations. You know, this is such a beautiful picture of discipleship and salvation. This is a restored individual sitting at the feet of Jesus who is now ordained to proclaim that the kingdom of God is here. I want all of us to see the love of God here in this text. Jesus went to the most unclean place on earth. He brought salvation to the most unclean man that you could find. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have their eternal life. That man on that day received the mercy and love that Jesus was offering. That's the reason that Jesus brought the kingdom of God to this earth, to seek and save the lost. So you have to ask yourself, are you one who wants to sit at the feet of Jesus and accept his mercy and love? Or are you the one who wants Jesus just to go away? We will partake in the Lord's Supper in just a minute, and it would be a great time to examine your heart to see if you've accepted God's love, or do you just want him to go away? For the ones who have, who accepted the mercy, the love, and the free gift of salvation, then I want you to take comfort and know that you are safe in the hands of God, and know that nothing can separate you from the love of God. When we don't understand what God is doing, when we can't see God at work, don't doubt Rest in the thought that Jesus is in control. He is in control. So we are to be like the restored man we just read about. We are to put on the full armor of God and go proclaim that the kingdom of God is here. Repent and believe in the gospel. We are to live it out and proclaim the good news. Amen? Amen. Pastor Ryan.